Gaming NBS episode 183 coming to you Wednesday, March 21st, 2018. Gaming and BS, tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Glad to have you all on board. How the heck you doing, Sean? Fantastic. Holding her, keeping her together, I assume? I am. I'm holding everything together. Awesome. With duct tape and shoestrings. <laughs> Bailing wire, bubble gum, whatever it takes. That's right, Brett. How are you, Brett? Not bad. Not bad. My wife, uh, <coughs> excuse me, her birthday is on St. Patrick's Day, so. What? That was fun. We're getting to a point where we don't party like fiends anymore because we're getting old for that shit. But we had a chance to go out to, uh, I'd say, I've taken you there to um, Freddie Valentine's, that restaurant in Spring Green. Yes, you have. And uh, they always have a really good, then Irish, Irish stew is really good and always have good food. So we went there for lunch. Oh. That was cool. Nice Spe- and relaxing. Special lady. Yeah, exactly. Did you, did you, you get her anything special, Brett? No, we don't buy each other's presents, really. Oh, I see. It's one of those things, like, throughout the year, I really want this. Do we have money for that? Yeah, all right, go buy that. It's, we don't really have extra, overly extravagant tastes, so it's not that big a deal. I see. Oh. I've got some gaming coming up this weekend. Do you have anything coming? Did you game Did you game last week? I did not. Um, I was scheduled to, but I, I told uh, the folks that I game with, my bank is a little empty. Mm-hmm. So I would not be attending the game. Just Makes coming, sense. Jump, just coming off a four-day gamer weekend. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. We were getting ready. I think we're kind of at the, if not the final, the penultimate event for the uh, Dresden Files game that um, Wednesday evening guys oh. are doing. Uh, oh, Tom yeah. Flanagan's running that. But we had some technical difficulties. I'll tell you the worst, the only problem... So that was happened on Wednesday. That kind of screwed up our gaming there. But the only problem I have found with online gaming is the technical glitch. Well, that's it's, a big one. It that's the only thing. I mean, we could always talk about problem players and so on and so forth. But it's the hey, are you there? I I, I can't hear you. What's going on? Can you hear us? Oh, it looks like he's rebooting. Wait, he can't get. Oh wait, wait, no. Is, is your mic on? Wait, hang on, hang on. Just turn your camera. Turn your turn your camera off. Can you hear me? And that that drives me. That wrecks the game more than anything else. I would almost rather. <laughs> that's the worst part for me of online gaming, which is one of the reasons why part of me is maybe it's roll twenty and maybe I need to try fancy grounds or, or a different format or something. But part of me is like, you know, can we just get a? Can we just do a theater of mind over Google Hangout? Done because the fewer bits and pieces and fancy you try to get. It seems to be easier than the rest of it. Just less, you know, things to go wrong, as it were. Kind of like I like my vehicles. I want, you know, hand crank windows and no power locks. There's <laughs> less shit to break because I know how I am. Yeah, that is a small drawback to the online experience is all the things that are needing to go correctly to make that all work. Yep. But I well, think, you know, I think... Uh, I don't know. I've had some pretty good luck, I think, for the most part. But, yeah, there's always, like, Brian was always a, there's always one person that's got, like, the shittiest freaking internet connection or something wacky. Like, the crappiest computer or the 
crappiest internet. And I mean, I've experienced that with two groups online. Well, actually, it's my group, but different players have come and gone. And it's always one. There's a learning, like my buddy Jeff, then there's the learning curve. Like he's just not a technical guy. So when shit hits the fan and you're like, hey, can you install Chrome so you can use this? I don't know how to do that. Ah, You get you people know, banic. You get well, people banic or they don't know how to do it right or something. Yeah. 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 Always a good time. Oh, well. You hate to, and you hate to cut somebody out simply because they have a bad internet connection. You're like, I love playing with her. She's awesome. She's got a really shitty internet connection, so she can't get online. And you feel bad doing it, but it's uh, distracting. Anyway, let's talk about something a little more entertaining here. Announcements. So one thing, Sean and I were chatting about just before we got on the mics, and it's high time we did a uh, another listener survey. So Sean and I will be creating one to send out there. And Sean, we're talking about kind of going through how we have the show set up, organized. You know, do you hate random encounter or the die rolls any use? Blah blah blah, that type of thing. Are there is that what kind of we're just looking to get again listener feedback as to what works, what doesn't. That's what we're looking for. Yeah. We did one, God, it's been probably two years now, so I think it's due for have things gotten better or worse over time. And, and, you know, I've always said this. It's always interesting when I talk to people that are starting a podcast um, or they're, they're exploring starting a podcast. And usually I tell them that you start a, start a show with the intentions of you wanting to say something and what you want to, you, you just want to do it. It's fun. It's, you're going to do your own topic. You think you could do it better than others. Uh, maybe you, you have a, a, a unique angle that you want to share. And, but at the same time you get some that are like, well, I don't know what my, you know, I want to be popular and have a good listener base and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you kind of start out knowing that you're not going to, you should start out knowing you're not going to have anybody listening to you. Like, you're just going to do it for you and just have fun with it, right? Which is why it's easier to have a co-host like Sean and I, because if, if nothing else, we're talking at each other as opposed to shouting into the void right. if you're trying to do it by yourself. Solo shows are tough. Uh, very so There's tough. not a ton of them. There's not a ton of them. Um, and then over time, you get some listeners, and then they start providing you with feedback, and then it becomes uh, a, you, you become conscious of what they prefer and what they don't prefer, um, and some of the feedback is certainly valid and some feedback is maybe not so much. Um, then it maybe just comes down to a preference. So for example, you know, I listen to some podcasts, their intros are way too goddamn long. Uh, ours was in the beginning. I think a couple of people were like, dude, your intro is way too damn long. It took me probably 10 or 15 shows to go. Yeah, they're right. It's way too damn long. Nobody wants to listen to music for a minute and a half. Yep, and sometimes it's you know, as I as I told people in my corporate America job, uh, duly noted, and uh, like yeah, but I have an opinion. Yes, I know. I just don't happen to value that one in this particular case. So I'm going to do whatever I want. Ha ha ha. Now, yeah. Jo- jokes aside, though, sometimes you're like, look, your point is absolutely valid. Maybe this isn't the show for you. I've had that with other people I've listened to. I'm like, you know what? I think their show is great. I hate this piece. They're not going to change it. Like Ken and Robin. I like listening to Ken and Robin. I don't give a fuck what they have to say about movies. Just don't care. So every once in a while, they'll be like, hey, it's Oscar time. I'm like, yep, guess I'll be skipping three quarters of that show because I don't care about their views on movies. Just not a big deal to me. I could scream at them all day long that I hate their movie reviews, but that's nah, not going to change anything. So sometimes you just figure out, yeah, they're going to live with it or move on. That's how it goes. 
Or so, you, yeah, just, you end up having a shitty show episode and it's not that big a deal as long as it doesn't become a trend. And, yes. you know, we want to maintain listeners and there's some folks that I'm sure have bailed on us, which is fine. And, and some that are probably on the on the fence on the they may be about to bail on us. And so um, check it out and getting some feedback on that may be may be helpful. Um, we should do a show at some point even like how we do our show, Brett. I mean, I think there's an understanding of what we do and how we do it, and the format's pretty steady. But at the same time, I think there may be some questions as to, like, well, how how do you determine what emails to read? Or how do you... Well, you went through at one point, did some bonus BS episodes about, like, how we set it up, the technology that's behind true. it. Well, that's not quite the same thing as how we organize and coordinate. I think a bonus BS episode could be warranted in that yeah. space. That way somebody could go, I don't give a fuck about that. Right. Then good. Don't listen to it. It's yeah, not that, a regular feed. That's a good point. Yeah. And the bonus BS on how I did is probably changed a little bit. I know some of the tools have, but mm-hmm. yeah. Anyways, cool. so listener survey coming, coming, soon. coming soon as of this recording, March 21st, 2018. And uh, the other piece I wanted to say before we get into the random encounters and such is Misdirected Mark had 300 episodes. That is a huge what? damn deal. Yes. They're a so, machine over there. Absolutely. Phil, Chris, Bob, everybody who has helped make that show something. They even survived the horrible um, website crash of 2017 or 18, excuse me, 2018. They had some technical difficulties over there. I mean, anybody who hosts on the internet at some point with a provider, even if you're trying to host your own stuff, whatever, IT is all about the when, not the if business. It's going to happen to you at some point. So uh, kudos for Chris and the team over there and uh, you know Phil, Bob, and everybody just for helping to pick it up and keep it moving. And the fact that they've got 300 episodes, 300 plus by the time this thing lands. So that's awesome. Good work, boys. Keep it up. Proud of you. Yeah. I, if you're not listening to those guys, go and listen to them. Uh, that that's no small feat. No, it is not. The consistency is phenomenal. Because Phil, Bob, and Chris have big feet. Yes, they do. No small feet at all. No small <laughs> feet over there. Anyway, congrats, guys. Very cool stuff. Shall we? Yeah, let's get into Random Encounter. Alrighty. I'll start. Okay. So Crimfan commented on episode 181. He says, to quote Brett from episode 180, listen to the players and give them what they want. Players vote with character design. If, a, if multiple people made up rogues with the intention of getting good at skills, they're saying they want to use those abilities. I think there's a reason for plot and uh, for not just giving players a monotonous Happy Meal-esque diet. But I tend to want to allow the players to do at least some guiding of it. One well, of the big problems I have with actual plays, APs, and more generally with railroad adventures is how immune the players, uh, how immune to the PCs they often are. They rarely have any connection to what the players want to do, and the DM seems to spend a lot of time keeping the players "quote unquote" on track. Yeah, you're right, Crimfan. When we, that was uh, episode 181, we're talking about you know made for the players, not that type of thing. And the idea here is you know look at what your players have. If uh, you had your session zero and you get a bunch of men and women who are all into you know rogues, thieves, sneak in, peeking. Uh, heavy skill users, they're telling you <clears throat> where they want to use some of those abilities and so on and so forth. And regardless of how you build your plot and how you you know narrate the tales and all that stuff, if you don't give them an opportunity 
to use those things, they're not going to enjoy the game at all, at least in my opinion. So that's a good point, Crimpan. Very good stuff, man. Yes, indeed. Over to you, Sean. Peter Skeens. I think I've been pronouncing his last name wrong. I'm sorry, Peter. Skeens. Skeens, Skeens, Skeens. Skeens. I think I actually, I think I actually corrected Brett. You probably said, did. I said probably said, said it's scan- not Skeens. I probably no, said, you, did I say Skeens? You said You it's said Skeens, and I'm like, no, it's Scanus. Oh, okay. It's Skeens. So everybody, when you run into Peter, it's Skeens. All right. So... Episode 182 conversion. Hi, BSers. Listen to episode 182. I think you are both right. Where's our tally? We need a tally board. We need. We do need a tally board. I think. Yeah. Uh, let. Well, we're hey, both. Mr. Should we? Should we just say we're fifty fifty? Or actually, you know what? I'll I'll give it to you. I say you are you are ahead. You're ahead on points right now. Hey, Mister Tally Board, tally me a tally. Something. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that was hey. good. Any adventure could be run system agnostic with lots of hand-waving as a one-off. But if you want a successful campaign, I really think you have to do some conversion. The differences between trad or trad traditional uh, versus indie games aside, games need an internal consistency and so do worlds. I think even the best game master would struggle with long-term consistency without doing some heavy lifting on converting the world to their current system. This could happen in-game, but you'd really have to take very good notes. As a campaign setting, I have to echo Sean's feeling about Midnight. I love that setting. Also, I'm toying with converting old 1st and 2nd edition Gamma World modules over to Mutant Crawl Classics. That's if my players ever manage to finish the funnel they're in. I'll let you know how it goes. As always, keep up the good work. Regards, Peter Skeins. Thanks, Peter. You know, he's right. I think I have done stuff in-game before, and you're dead right, Peter. If you don't keep good notes at that time, at least take, hang on a second, how did we rule? What was that piece? Then you're going to come back, and they will encounter the the legates next time the legate shows up, and you're like, oh, yeah, they can do this. And someone will say, wait a minute. Last time, all we had to do was make a, Wisdom save, and that didn't affect us. Why do we have to do con saves now? Uh, is that what we the, did? Because <laughs> Sean, the game master, said so. Toot toot. <laughs> Dirty players. <laughs> but Dirty I think, little players. But I think that's a very good point. If you do it in-game, you have to take some really good notes. So that that is a good point. And I, I agree. I think after we got through it, you know, at the beginning it wasn't 100%. <clears throat> I guess I didn't really get it. And the more I talked it over with Sean last episode, I'm like, yeah, you're right, man. You got to do at least to make it work well if you're going to use it um, beyond more than just a reference point, you know, for names, places, and some stuff. If you want to actually use the bits and pieces in it that make it the adventure, make it the actual setting, like Midnight or whatever, you, you need to do a little conversion. So good stuff, man. Thank you, Peter. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. A little light on the feedback this week, but that's okay. Yeah, let's get into the main topic. Let's do it, man. Oh, right. You ready? I'm ready, dude. All right. So Jared Rasher, a uh, friend of the show, listener of the show, all-around awesome dude. Um, he was at Gary Khan with Sean and I and a whole host of others, you know, uh, Bruce Cunnington, you know, Dave Beatty, the whole crew that was out there. Just so, such so much fun. Met some awesome people, as usual. Anyway, 
He's got a post over on the Misdirected Mark. Um, speaking of Misdirected Mark, I figured, you know, tell him thank you for 300 episodes. And I'm going to steal one of your posts. Ha! I'm going to make a topic out of it. So he was saying, after he was playing Dungeon Crawl Classics, BXD&D, Labyrinth Lord, um, it was strikingly how important narrative positioning and narrative permission are in those OSR games. And we've talked about narrative positioning on the show before. One of the things we haven't talked about much was the narrative permission perspective. I actually don't think we've ever talked about it with that term, but I think I think it would be interesting. So, for example, steal directly from Jared's thing here. A lot of what I noticed in the, is that in various places in OSR games, which carried across to all the games, many times if you had something, you could do something. For example, if you had a rope, you could climb down a thing. If you had a crowbar, you can open a door. If it falls, it all of that falls under narrative permissions. In the DCC Lankmar game, it even went so far as, quote, <coughs> excuse me, we need to get into X, how do we do that? Do you have any contacts? We have X, Y, and Z. As long as you can call one, you can get in. And depending on which contact, we'll give you a different entry point. Kind of a, a junction of narrative permission positioning, per se, as he says there, but kind of cool. I like. So we just started thinking about this more, and Sean and I talked about it briefly the other day. And, you know, this idea of... If you have a thing, you can do a thing. Stuck with me, and I was going back, and I cannot find where I got this little nugget of inspiration from, but I remember distinctly reading Vampire the Masquerade, first edition, first print. <coughs> got the book, I'm tearing through it. <clears throat> read the read the rules twice in the same day, bust through it. Wow, this is so much fun. I love it. Oh, my God, I'm all intrigued and interested and so on. It's the 90s. What, what are we going to do? So there was a piece in there, and I can't find the actual quote that says it, but basically... What I always gathered out of it was like, look, if you have to climb a chain link fence to get out of the graveyard, because it's a vampire, you have to use graveyards, I don't need you to roll for that. In short, if it's not interesting if you succeed or fail, then you don't need to roll. It was kind of how I always described it to my players, how I've thought about it. So, you know, if you've got a way to accomplish something, and it basically is just time if you have a rope and you want to climb down a pit, all right, you can climb down a pit. I don't need you to, if you're not under pressure, who cares? By the same token, if you're trying to climb over that chain link fence to get out of the graveyard, and there's a pack of angry ghouls, bloodthirsty dogs, and guys shooting at you with AKs, yeah, a little more pressure, so I need a climb check because it becomes interesting or dramatic or, th- or something for the story <clears throat> if that happens. I've also used it even in my D&D games when it doesn't matter. Um... We're like, look, the door's locked. Well, I'm a, I have an expert lock pick. You know, well, what's your skill in that? Oh, God, I got like a, you know, 85% fine. You can pick the lock. It's pretty simple. You, you easily jimmy the lock, you're in, and off you go. Um, so I was thinking about that. And I'm like, you know, Sean, and I thought, I'm going to ask Sean. So, Sean, do you do that when you run games? Do you, you know, do you always enforce a skill roll um, regardless of its importance, I guess? You know, climb a wall. They have climb skill. It really doesn't matter. Is do you does that type of thing ring to you? Do that whole concept of if you have a thing, you can do a thing. I think that if they don't have the skill to climb, they can't climb. If they don't have the tool to um, do something, they can't do it at all, ever. Period. End Fuck of discussion. Well, nice. you know, hey, come prepared. Come you're prepared. not. You're not. You're not a wall climber. So tough, 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 tough shit. So if your wizard's at the base of the of the hill and doesn't have any points in climb, he's just screwed. Man, 
it sounds like they're going to have to rig up a little carrying device to get that get that character places. Well, what if nobody has rope use? They can't even rig up a carrying device. Then. They can't even. Yeah, no. Yeah, rope use. They don't have rope use, man. They can't even tie a knot. Just, just go home. Why are you guys in this dungeon anyway? I don't even know what the hell they're doing in this whole adventure. Nice. Classic. All right. So if you didn't get the sense of sarcasm out of my voice. But I think that's a huge difference between what had eventually become the D20 era and what had led up to D20. Actually, the, the, the overskillification of our game it, systems. Yes, yeah. And second edition had proficiency slots. They did, yeah. You know, and that was kind of maybe the precursor, but I don't even back well, then. Well, first I edition, first edition toyed with in, in uh, Dungeon Survival Guide, Wilderness Survival Guide, and other Who freaking uses those goddamn books? Me. Brett. I Get, did. Are you crazy? I did. I was those things. Oh, God. I was a little crazy back in the day. I own those, and I like looked through them and went, man, there is a lot of useless shit in here. It was one of those things you read through, and you went, wow, this could be really cool. You put it in a character sheet, and then in play, you ended up hand waving coming up with something else anyway. But anyway, as, as you were saying, the, the D20 approach to the skillification of all things. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's funny. We talk about 4th edition being the video game conversion of tabletop and... You know, some could say that three zero and three five, and actually, some actually do say that. Like it started with three zero and three five. That's you know, that's where it all began. Everything went to hell at that point. Took yeah. my game and wrecked it. Son of a bitches! Uh, they ruined my childhood. <laughs> yeah, uh, but at the same time, you get these, you got these list of skills. And frankly, newcomers would look at it and go, "Well, what what can I do?" And it's like, "Well, I don't know. Look on your sheet, and do you have the skill? You can do it." And it's kind of like. That's kind of assed up because so, if you play the old school stuff, um, we talked you, about this a number you do of episodes. It. You yeah, just, we, it just happens. It. You just it, it it occurs, and you know you because you search a room doesn't always mean you find something good. We talked. <laughs> excuse me. We talked about this a while back with like lists of skills. I cannot remember what episode that is. Somebody out there is a better librarian than you and I are. But we talked about this like having a list of skills. And I ran Lamentations for the Flame Princess game for my group. And uh, one of my players was kind of at a loss without having that list. We had played games with lists. He's a big role master guy. Oh, talk about a game of fucking lists of skills and things you can and can't do. So it was interesting. I think it's very. It's more prevalent in that the older style of game, often referred to as the OSR stuff. But you know, hey, I have a rope. I think we should be able to all get up the. Uh, should all be able to get down this this pit to see what's down there. Yeah, that sounds fine. You can do this. Do that. I distinctly remember having, if somebody was overly inept <laughs> or or actively untrained, right? You had that stupid portly wizard whose whole character was about, I don't want to get my hands dirty. Don't 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 make me do anything. Oh, I don't want to do that. Oh my gosh, yeah, I need you peons to do stuff for me. I had a, I had a player who, who did that. They purposely um, had actively refused to do manual labor stuff, and any time he would have to do a check, like to climb something or push something open or slog through a whatever. He would uh, gleefully take whatever penalty we would give him for his strength or dexterity check, or he would gleefully, you know, make a roll when no one else had to. Because it was all part of his character. It didn't, didn't face him at all. But I could see that, you know, in, in some cases, in an, even in an OSR-style game, where if somebody is, you know, critically inept at something, look, they not only don't have climb, they have a really bad dexterity, 
um, <clears throat> kind of in my early example, what's your what's your skill at that? Well, what's your dex? I have like a four dex. <laughs> yeah, you got a you have a fair chance of falling off this rope. It's a fifty foot climb. And then <laughs> a lot of times the players would look around at each other, and go, "Can somebody give me a bonus? Is there a way to like lasso me up the the hill or drop me down in a noose or something?" All right, fine, we'll tie a noose. We'll do a thing. And a lot of that came down to, I have the gear. It makes this easier. Now it's a matter of how we use the gear to get down, right? You carry that crowbar with you. There's a stuck door. I can open it. Now, if I gave that crowbar to, you know, my character, who has a, who's a, you know, wizard with a six strength, ah, I could wrench on that fucker all day long. It ain't going to happen. I could give it to a thief with a 13, and the DM would go, oh, yeah, you got, yeah, 13. That's a good strength. You could pop that door open easy. Or, you know, not as quickly as perhaps the Dwarven Fighter with an 1876 strength from back in the day. But, yeah, that's how, uh, that's how we used to roll. And I, I got to say, I kind of like that. I like not having to deal with making a skill roll every time, even in systems that have lots of skills, saying, look, you have this stuff. You, you can make this happen. I don't want to bog the game down by having you make a stupid skill check and then potentially having it fail, and we sit here and stare at it. You know, I think. Yeah, well, oh, sorry. Go well, ahead. Go ahead. Well, with five E now, you you it it alleviates all that. Everything's an ability check. Yes. And then if you have the skill, you get an additional proficiency bonus, which is nice. So I think some of the I'm telling you, five E. If you haven't played it, um, it's really kind of bringing a lot of different worlds together to make a lot of sense. So it it still incorporates some of that old school philosophy. Um, where you don't need the skill to do something, but it's all based on your abilities. So if you've got a good strength, you know, you're going to probably do pretty well with a strength-based stuff task. Right. I would still, I still do it now in 5e where if you are trying to knock down a door, the right door knocker in the group, you know, the human barbarian with the 19 strength, is going to knock down the door, I'll give it to him. I'm not going to make them roll. Right. Again, depending on what's going on. <clears throat> if they're knocking it down because it's just stuck, I know for a fact nothing behind, beyond it. There's no monster. No one's actively holding it. Nothing bad's going to happen. They'll crash it down, and noise will go off. and may make a check to see if somebody listens or if a monster hears something because of the noise. But otherwise, I'm not going to make the poor barbarian's character, you know, I'm not going to make Eileen roll three times because she happened to roll shitty or whatever. Now, I know that in... I don't think 5e does this. I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but I know in 3035 and such, you had the, what, the take 20? Where you could just say, hey, I'm going to take some time and get a big ass bonus on this roll. So there I should be able to accomplish it, which I think was the idea of if you do have time, then mechanically speaking, if you had the time, there is no pressure. Chances are you're going to get through. That was so it. You don't, so on take 10 and take 20, the at least on the. 20 you're not i don't think you get a roll you just get that's well on the 20 you get 20 it's not a plus 20 fair i, I yeah i was <clears throat> i was describing that incorrectly yeah yeah but the idea being kind of a mechanical way to say yeah you have all the time in the world yes you can get through it right you know if it's a dc 15 lock dc 18 lock dc 20 lock you're gonna pick the goddamn lock the thief will get through it well you've got I'm, time Yes, but in 3035, if there is a chance of failure, especially with picking locks or traps specifically. Yeah, traps. Yeah, then you're 
There's always a chance, no matter what, because you could, could roll one. You could, yep. Yeah. So <laughs> that's a good differentiator, actually, because if I were to look at it and say, hey, um, searching for traps versus picking a lock, or even disarming a trap versus picking a lock, I think there's a bigger, because it becomes more interesting <laughs> if they win or not, if they fail or succeed in that. Tapping along the corridor, I'm trying to get past the security guard. I've got the you know magnetic key card lock. It's hooked up, and if my spy can't figure out how to bypass the security code, the klaxons go off, the alarm bells are going, lights are flashing, and now the SWAT team's coming. It's a lot more interesting, which is essentially a trap. It's a lot more interesting than you know. Do you have a, you know? It's <clears throat> it's a wire fence. I pull out my bolt cutters or my wire cutters and snip a hole through it so we can get through it instead of having to roll a snip-through-wire fence check or whatever it is because there's really nothing that interesting that happens. So in a, to go back to a D&D type of example, a non-stressful picking of a lock where nothing, on the, nothing bad happens if you pick it or don't. So why not give it to them? Now, it happens to be a, tr- a chest. The chest also happens to be trapped. If they check for traps, <clears throat> I've always made that be an actual role. Because if you fail, it could be bad for you. Right? Where if you don't open the lock, whatever, you just keep monkeying with it until you do. Has always been my philosophy towards that. Or I shouldn't say always, but tends to be my philosophy towards that. Where if you fuck up disarming the trap, the <laughs> same thing as not noticing it. Hey, guess what? Everybody falls down the hole, rocks fall, everyone dies. Yeah. Well... And, and traps are a little outside of the normal pass fail because there may or there isn't a. I mean, I guess you could implement some type of fail safe to back you up should you botch it. But, you know, like, well, like if you're trying to disarm a pit trap and someone's got the rope coiled around your waist, so you, they don't, you can't fall any more than 10 feet or something like that. Well, right, but that's not preventing the trap from happening. No, it doesn't. Nope. So I'm talking specifically to the trap. Okay. Right? So if I'm a wizard and I've got a shitty dex and I'm going to climb across the rope bridge, Uh you could still roll. Like, you could say, well, there's no hurry, so you just walk across. It's not a problem. You take your time. You get across. But And that's certainly fine and acceptable, because I think then you could say, you know, I make certain preventive measures. But when you have a tra- – it's kind of like a bomb that's sitting in front of you and it's taken down. I mean, I guess you could – I mean, how would you go about safeguarding yourself if you fail? Where if you're crossing the rope bridge, you could have something tied to yourself. you got – you know, run another. Well, that's why I say it becomes interesting, right? Right. right. That, that's what that's what I mean by interesting. Failure results in death, maiming, in, injury, or even just odd quirkiness, right? Pie in the face. You're noticed by the guards. Potential bad things can happen. If it takes you 15 minutes to cross the rope bridge because your character's terrified of heights and they have to coach him across, or if it takes him five minutes to skip across it because he's an elf and he's not bothered by that stuff, it doesn't matter unless. Time is indeed of the essence, and you have to get across that bridge quickly because if you don't get to the other side, the rope bridge is on fire and it burns and you fall to your death. Or you're being chased by a, a horde of gibberlings or something like that. You have to get across. Or if you don't get across, 
the sacrifice on the other side of the chasm takes place. The poor, you know, the poor, uh, you know, king's son is then going to be murdered and his heart ripped out. Well, you got to haul ass across the bridge because you have a the, the clock is ticking down. Well, <laughs> I would me. also I would also go as far to say that if it's written into the adventure, certain things because I think is oh, good point, yeah. Right, we are not writers, although we play some in our RPGs. Um, <laughs> we like to pretend. One of the things that a, a a person that writes an adventure may put into the module is, here is a rope bridge. It will sustain a certain amount of weight until it compl- collapses. And that's like from that point. So maybe it's just wear and tear. So say 300 pounds gets applied in the next day or two. And once that occurs, it gives way. So you know, you just how much do you weigh? How much does your character weigh, Brett? Uh, I'm at 180. Uh, with all your stuff, 260 is a big. He's a big guy. Armor with 260 with all your shit. Yep. Sounds good. All right, you walk across. Whoo, easy. And no problem. Next, the, the 150 pound, <laughs> 150 pound halfling. I got this. Ah. Yeah. Boom. Done. <laughs> there is something cool though about. The mundane stuff, right? There's a pit. You need to climb down the pit. You get 50 feet of rope. It's a 40-foot pit. Just climb down the fucking pit. You know, describe to me what you're doing, and down you go. <coughs> Excuse me. I know there can be... Uh, Mr. Dr. Mark has talked about We've talked a little bit about it, too. The whole idea of niche protection. You've got a character class who's really freaking good at picking locks, disarming traps, i.e. your thief, or uh, the bard-type character, the face man in your spy game, you know... The cleric, the healer, the medic, you know, the the bookhound, whomever, they're really good at certain things. If you have a system with a big list of skills and they've spent their time to become masters of those skills, and then to potentially have, well, anybody can look up this information in the library provided they have enough time. You know, well, we got all day, so I'll just spend, you know, 12 hours mucking through the library. You don't, do you have library use? No, nah, it really doesn't matter. Library uses a skill in Call of Cthulhu. Um, no, it doesn't matter. I'll just find it. And then the poor guy who you know made the librarian character who wasn't able to get there because he's busy fighting a shaga somewhere, you know, feels a little <laughs> put out. He spent all this time in character points to build a character who has kick-ass library use, and essentially was taken away from him. So I think in there are some cases when when dealing with niche protection or with a character who is like, look, I'm really really good at this. And maybe maybe it's just kind of how I how I look at stuff, um, or how lots of different people look at it. But I mean, climbing down a pit, you have a rope, you can, and there's obvious outcroppings, <clears throat> rocks, trees, something. You can easily figure out a way to climb up and climb down. You know, nooses, levers, knots in a rope, whatever you come up with, fine. When it comes down to very specific skills, like picking a lock, I would say the barbarian who has a really good dexterity. They've got an 18 dexterity. And she's awesome. She's an amazing barbarian, but she's never picked a lock before in her life. I would not let that person just, you know, pick a lock where I went, where the thief is very skilled at it. And they come up and say, well, there's nothing interesting that would happen if they were to fail. It's not a big deal. Um, he's got a really good lock pick skill. Go ahead and do it. Yeah, you're fine. You, you, you pull out your picks, click, click, click. You're out and you're through. So I, th- by kind of, if it's within your idiom, almost right. If it's if it's if the task at hand is within a skill set that you have access to normally, 
it feels like sometimes it's worth giving it away as opposed to you know providing that that narrative permission saying yeah you have enough information to tell me as the game master that this is lickety split for you just do it don't fuck about making a die roll you can have that one i I know that it irritates the crap out of some people who want to roll for everything. I've played with those guys. Like, well, I have a skill. No, I want to roll because I could fail. Well, you really want to fail? Well, I could. There you failed. You can't pick the lock. Well, how fast (laughs) before I can try again is almost always the next immediate thing they say. I'm like, all right, let's look up the fucking rule for how many times you can try to pick the same lock in the same day. I could have just given it to you. No, no, no. This is how it works. I'm like, oh, my God, which probably means I'm playing the wrong damn game. But. Anyway, that's kind of, I like it. I think that sometimes, you know, hmm, we've talked about this a little bit before. Sometimes the die roll on a check or something, it can add to drama, and that does that does help. But there's something really cool about that. If you explain what you're doing, as you've always used with, like, the search example, how you're looking where you're and where you're peeking around, giving it to them as a reward for good narrative narrative uh, explanation and good role play seems like a reasonable, easy thing to do as opposed to saying, well, we've explained it good enough, so that gives you the ability to make a search roll or even pluses on the search roll because it can still fail. And sometimes a give me, I think, can be a pretty good reward. I don't know you think. What do you think, John? Yeah. You don't like giving I- stuff away. <laughs> make it work for it. I, I would I would wonder how a game if I ran everything and it was you know very um I do something and then you just give it to them because it falls under their particular class domain, right? And they search and they come across something pretty simple. How how the dynamic of that game would be Scene. I don't know if players would notice that nuance enough to say, well, everything was really easy. We just went in there and did our thing, told the DM what we were going to do. We've got what we asked for, and we kept going on. That'd be a really weird adventure, I got to well, say. And I don't, I know, it's, it's kind of sitting here, you're like, well, it sounds weird. But how, would it be weird? I don't know if it would be conscious of, well, it was a great adventure. Everything we came across was just kind of obvious because, and I'm not saying like, you know, boom, you go into a room, you search, oh, there it is. Like they'd have to search and they'd have to say, well, I search under the bed. Okay, well, if they say they search under the bed and there's a journal underneath the bed, the journal is sitting there, right? There, yep. You know, there's this weird kind of goofiness with, Search specifically, and I don't know if we're kind of getting all over the topic. But No, I think it's interesting. So Jared had another example in here. Now's a good time to pull this one out. So this piece, he says, If you take the time to, to determine how you might disarm a trap while staying out of its line of fire, you might not get hit by it if the GM determines that it went off instead of being disarmed. Um, that it went off instead of being disarmed. So let's say there's a tripwire in a hallway. Yeah. You see the two ballistas on the other side, like, ah, I look down, there's a fucking tripwire. Right. So here's what we do. We stand back, we take the 10-foot pole, and smack that rope until it goes off. Whang! The two ballista bolts go off. They clatter right. on the other side, disarmed. No one had to make a roll. <clears throat> right. 
it was a it was cool role play and osre and like hey narrative talky talk talk this is what we want to do bam off you go now <clears throat> the other piece is like you said if the game master the writer whatever from the adventure said there's only one true way to do a thing and jared called this out you know the possibility that the gm is not decides that there's only one true way to disarm it instead of rewarding a player that's willing to try something different now i would i would say and i'm paraphrasing what jared said there for the for the sake of expediency but the point is, is you may say to your point with the, with a rope ladder after 300 pounds of weight on it it's too much stress it, it snaps so the first dude who runs across it weighing 150 pounds fine the next person who skitters across who weighs 110 pounds still good next guy comes across who's 260 and not so good right right <clears throat> and the guy who's 260 like you get across i need you to make a climb check well the other guys didn't have to make a climb check you do it, okay, the rope snaps, you make that dex check or climb, whatever it is, and you start to fall, but you're able to grab it because you made it, and you slam into the side of the, of the other cliff face because the rope broke. Apparently too much weight, it snapped. Wow, son of a bitch. It becomes interesting then. And I don't know, I think you're right. I, I think, you know, See, well, there's no <clears throat> check. There's no check in any of that. Until the very end when it breaks. When the bad thing happens, then they have to check. But I don't think there has to be a check. No, you could just say, no, you fall to your death. <laughs> No, 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 no. If they cross, if they go across, so if you okay, so same situation, you have 150 pound PC go across. All right. You're gonna describe what's happening. You hear the creaking of the ropes. It's obviously it's got, sways. A little flex, got a little extra flex to it there. Yeah. Right, right. It bends a little bit more, and okay. then the the second person goes. You know that it bends even more. Yeah, they're about you 140. A, so you're you about see a couple 290 things, now. You see a couple things start to to crumble. Snap. Couple of the boards fall through the ropes into down into the void. If that last person doesn't think that they're in a shit ton of trouble when they go across and they're the biggest person, yeah, the two hundred ninety pound dwarven fighter. I got this. <laughs> you're probably gonna wanna take a rope and say, "Well, all right, those two are across. They took the end of one one end of the rope. I take the other and I tie it to myself. So when the bridge collapses, which will probably in it be inevitable, yeah." Then he's okay. He sure he goes and swings into the side of the cliff face, but he doesn't go down to the to the depths of the void and take sixty six per foot whatever craziness of damage. D six per ten feet. Yeah, D six per ten feet. It's a hundred feet. Your your toast uh, and a pancake, but now you're hanging off the side of a cliff. But no, there hasn't. There's no check in any of that. No, and it I don't. It just happens. I used to play that way, and I have played that way. When I run Osric or when I ran um, Redbox, and I don't, you know, now I look back at it and we talk about it like, oh, that would be, this feels kind of weird. But when you're playing, it makes sense. You feel, at least I felt, the players on the other side of the screen seem to feel rewarded. Like, hey, we were smart, you know. Well, I think that's the gist of some of those older games is it wasn't the character that pulled you through everything. It was the player. So ah, okay, of, okay. Maybe you're hitting it, something. Keep going. It was a lot of the player piece. Players had to play smart. They learned over time. Jesus, man, I got to – I mean, Dave Elsner, he used to own Misty Mountain Games, and he would play, like, modern – modern, whatever, more modern games, releases, 3035, as if they were still BX 
you know, additions. He need a bag of ball like, bearings. I need a, I bag need a of small bag bearings, of flowers, two bag mirrors. Bag of flour, yep, mirrors, chalk. Some, some oil so I can see if I can check for traps down the, down the yeah. alleyway. Yeah. Yeah, he, he would do all that shit, and you'd be like, what the hell? And nobody would equip their character like that. Up oh, 10-foot pole, yep, I need that. And he would do that all the time, and I'm like, well, why would you need half that stuff? And no, this has been, you know, freaking 15 years since, dude, this guy's played those older games. And that's what he would do. That's like, hey, man, you run into an uh, invisible creature, man, you puff puff up the big bag of flour. And, and boom. The, hey, I can find see, you. Yeah. That's him play. That's him playing smart, not his that's character. character. That's a very good point. That's interesting. I had honestly I had not thought about that until you just said it. And part yeah. I think is, and part of the problem with some of these young kids these days <laughs> is that I think some of that is lost. So their creativity in how they accomplish and overcome obstacles and traps and puzzles and all this other stuff, you roll a die and you're like, well, you solved the Rubik's cube. Instead of giving the freaking player a Rubik's Cube. And saying, here, try that. Here, fucker. solve this thing. Like, uh, I don't know how to solve this thing. Well, it <laughs> well, sounds you... to me like you got to find somebody that can solve it. And if that's not, hmm. I mean, there's those... that that... quite, quite like that, but you know. Yeah, and then if you take something that is more skillified, you could say, well, that's a really good. I'll tell you what, if you take all those precautions, I'll give you a plus 10 on your climb check. I'll give you a plus 10 on your whatever. Or a plus five, or whatever your plus of choice is for that. Or give you advantage in, you know, D&D 5. Okay, that sounds cool. You've set stuff up. Again, you use the mechanics. If I have a group that doesn't like this, right? If you as a GM or your players don't enjoy it, you may they may want to use the mechanics for all this well, stuff. I have the I have the mechanics here for purpose, goddammit. I want to use them. And that's the reason there's pluses and minuses for stuff, too. Sorry, Sean. Yeah? Yeah, I agree. Yes, you. I think you could play either way, but I think at the same time there is an element of if you're. I think this is more old school gaming kind of discussion than anything, and 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 resolving those issues is. I think that if I think back in the day, and I'm not playing a bunch of BX right now, but I think as a DM, if it sounds good, then it's good. Like if you explain to me, Brett how you're going about tackling this obstacle and you put some thought into it and some creativity and you come up with a rational, solid plan, then, hey, that's great. But if I, as a DM, says, well, here's the way that plan is going to be foiled and and Brett didn't consider this component because it's just completely something he didn't under, didn't foresee happening, then maybe... Part of the plan works and part of the plan doesn't. So there isn't necessarily like, give me a role because the role is whether your character came up with it, I think. Okay. Right? So that's where you're offloading the skill onto the character because let's admit it. You know, I am not an 18 intelligent creature, uh, despite some of you that may think I am. Thank you very much. But we're also not a medieval-based peasant with you know minimal understandings of physics, right? Yeah. Or you know, <clears throat> I, I've had those guys at the table who are like, um, they're, they're ex-active duty military. They have a really good idea how this works <laughs> because they've been there. Or you've got sure. people who are car mechanics. I've got guys. I had a game with a guy who had um, he was ex-military, but he was a, a flight mechanic. 
worked in helicopters. Well, yeah, but there ain't no motherfucking airplanes in D and D. No, I'm not saying D and D, but you can get you get you get to a point where he's like, look, I know how mecha- I know how mechanical leveraging this shit works. So this is how you build a fulcrum to hop to do this thing. You take they translate it to D and D. You're like, well, hang on a second, you know, you know, special forces, army ranger, you know, hobbit here. Let's let's back that down a bit and see. if I don't think your character would know that. And that's where some of the I distinctly remember some of those old arguments. Well, your character wouldn't know that. There's no way your mage would understand that this is blah, blah, blah. Remember those arguments? Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> I think I think That was half the fun. So I think any of these arguments that we could potentially throw it on the table is going to happen regardless if there is a check that somebody rolls. Good point. Or they don't. Like, there's always going to be this debate. Always, always, always till the end of RPG time. I, I firmly believe that because... Then it's just going to come down to a philosophical preference. Like, I like to roll dice, and I like to use a skill that's on my character sheet to accomplish something, and you should allow me to do that, and we let the dice fall where they may. Great. Understandable. Then there's some that are like, nope, that's a, if I come up with a solid, creative approach to solving this problem, I should be able to do that. Now, the DM, like I said, the DM could come across and say, you didn't, hey, man, you didn't search that tile. You searched all these, but you didn't search that one. Sorry, buddy, you lose. Yeah, absolutely. You could do that. Or whatever, right? You know, it's it says in the book it's uh, 60 pounds of pressure. Your, half, your gnome weighs... Forty pounds. Soaking you didn't trigger it. Brick. Yeah, it couldn't yeah, trigger you it. didn't. You didn't trigger it. It's it's the person behind you that did. You searched and searched and then you searched some more and you didn't come across anything. And oh, by the way, what would have had it to take to trigger it? You didn't have it. Oh, that's a you know. <laughs> I think I think honestly, the reason I like I like Osric and I like. The BX stuff and the Beck Me and DCC and even now with Five E, I can use that stuff again. Now, not that I couldn't before, but it feels because it's it's um, stat based instead of like tons and tons of skills in Five E. Right. But I like playing like this. I like it when <clears throat> and and again, I think this is probably one of those <laughs> things where you have to describe how you play, right? Like, look, yeah, this you... is how I run. This is what we do. Yeah. You know. We we might have a discussion or an argument as to whether or not your, you know, your Arturian fighter from the fifth dimension really understands how you know lightsabers function or whatever the fuck your weird mishmash game is. You know, I I don't know if you know this or not, but some of it's and some of it kind of gets to your metagaming thing too. Like, how would you know that? How does your fighter know that? How does your thief know that? But in certain games, that creative problem solving, I I get a rush out of it as a player. And even as a game master, I love it when my players are like, okay, we have a plan. We're going to attack this room (laughs) like this. Or we're going to come across, and this is how we're going to distract the guards. And and no games, other games, will help you get past planning and whatever. But anyway, where am I going with this? So when my players will say, hey, here's how we're going to break into the library. Here's how we're getting into the University of Chicago um, in the middle of the night. Here's how we're doing this. Or, yeah, we're going to try to you know, through this sneaky craziness or whatever. Those things are cool to me. I think that's a lot more fun having them explain what they want to do. And then even if you assign, even if you assign a couple of checks and say, okay, that's pretty difficult. All right, team, here's what you got to do. 
you give me two stealth rolls, you give me a, a hack roll, and you give me a disable roll. Click, click, click. Got it. All right, cool. The plan goes off without a hitch. Or you take those rolls and say, well, the two disables worked, the stealth, but the hack roll failed. So that means the computer system picked you guys up. Oh, shit. You know, or whatever. You know, so to your point, Sean, some of the stuff worked, but a piece of it may not have, right? Because you didn't, quote, unquote, beat the whole thing. You know what I mean? You didn't figure out the entire way to get past it. So it's kind of a mishmash of system. Yeah, see, that's kind of the skilly, skilly thing. So my my take. Well, that's just interspersing in a couple different places. Well, that may be fair, but you could say, all right, I need to understand as you, because it's kind of a step by step thing. So if you're breaking into the library, okay, tell me what you're gonna do. You guys sit over there and contemplate for two hours, then you come into me and let me know what your shit's gonna be like, and they're gonna go, all right, and they're gonna come to questions. Hey, man, we want to know what the hours of the library is. Eight to nine. They close at nine, go to eight. You see somebody go in, see somebody come out. Which is, steady, and this is day. a great time, as a side note, to if you smoke, step outside, get a smoke, or uh, pour, pour your uh, third, fourth cup of coffee. Because the players, yeah, players are busy fucking off right order now. Order pizza, man. Go and have a dinner or whatever. And then you give them all the – because they're going to have a bunch of questions. Yep, lots of kinds of questions. And then what's going to happen is they're going to go into there, and they're going to break in, and they're going to be like, yep, we do this. Mr. Thief does this. No problem. And then the dogs appear. Well, we didn't know there were dogs in there. You never investigated to see if there were dogs in there. Shit, there's dogs. Okay, crap, there's what do you do dogs. now? Right, yeah. now what are you going to do? Exactly. Angry no Doberman check. Pinchers. This is great. No check. Obviously, shit's going to hit the fan. Yes, oh, you I could brought, do it that way too. I brought some meat. All right, throw the meat down. They, they, and they like go off and eat the meat. Like, no check? Good. It's creative re- resolution, man. If you guys get this, your brains together, and you're really, get, I mean, because you know what's I have, inevitable, I have run Brett? It like You've run it like that, and I've done that, too. Yeah. yeah I get it. Because you know what's inevitable? What? Inved- inevitable? What? They're going to forget to check something. <laughs> they're going to forget. They can't cover all their goddamn bases. You can always get them at some point. And it's the DM can always manipulate the situation, <laughs> and they'll never know. And there's going to be a combat, probably. I mean, if you're talking about D&D. Sure. You know, going through a dungeon, to use that classic, <laughs> or even a wilderness adventure or whatever. You can have a session where it's nothing but talk and talk and talk and do this, do that, but then there's outcomes. There's things like, oh, my God, we made an enemy. Oh, my God, we pissed off ladies, you know, so-and-so, and and she's going to come after us, or ups and downs for social interactions and so on. But even if you make your way through the dungeon, you've navigated all the traps, and you've poked your way through here, there, and everywhere, at the (laughs) end of it, somewhere, is a pack of goblins and their hobgoblin overlords and the evil cleric of of Tharzadun who's going to kick your ass. Ah, fuck. So the dice come out at some point, you know, in old school D&D anyway, or that style of game, there's going to be a fight. So even if you, you get to use some of your fighty-fighty skills, right? You don't, you don't, in this style of play, you don't narrate your way through a combat. That's a different type of thing. We talked about that before with my whole narrating combat and don't using hit points, and I was soundly yelled off the podium for that one. But <laughs> I, there is, I don't know, man. I like this style. I like the uh, uh, the approach of if you can explain it to me well, either sprinkling some skill checks in it, as I said, or even your way. <clears throat> okay, what do you do first? We go in the library, we do this. What do you do about the Doberman Pinchers? Fuck, there's dogs. Shit. Um, wait, I always have a I always have a bag of raw meat on me. Why do you have raw meat? I just always do. All right, whatever. You throw the raw meat out. All right, you go down the stairs. What do you do next when you encounter this? Shit, we didn't know that was there. And then they work their way through it. So... I don't know, man. I, I think it's 
I think it's entertaining, and it to me the other thing that I find this does is from player engagement. Everybody wants to participate, and this is one of those times when I have a I have a more lenient approach towards you're not there, you can't help him, right? If, if basically the, the table in my experience tends to actively source itself, you know, you got three players out of a five player group down there. Everybody's, Oh wait, do you have the mirror? Yeah, I should get the mirror. You got the ball bearings. Okay. You got the meat. Good. We'll do that. Hey, don't forget you have this. Everybody comes together to solve those problems. At least in my experience, they tend to, and that stops a lot of the, let's check out my iPhone and see what the latest YouTube video is. Hey, I'm going to play clash of clans or whatever the fuck they're doing. Everybody's engaged. Because yeah. you're asking for permission to get past stuff. And not just waiting for your turn to make a climb check. You're waiting for your turn to actively describe what it is you're going to do. And the best way to make that work to your advantage is pay a fucking attention to what the first dude did. So when Sean goes across and that bridge is creaky, snappy, two strands of the cable pop, you can bet your bottom dollar when... uh you know, I'm standing there with uh, Sydney, Chris, and AJ. We're like, okay, how do we get across the bridge? We just saw it almost break when Sean went across. I'm a dwarven fighter. I wait twice when his character does shit. We're paying attention to that stuff because all of those narrative cues matter to how we're going to get past it. Huh? That's just they're cool, always man. they're always gonna they're all so. Let me get this straight. You're all gonna go into the library. Yep. And you're gonna break into this one door that's never people never come in, never go out. Yep. All right, you get in there. Great. So, what's everybody wearing? <laughs> I've got oh, my hey, bacon. Mr. I got my bacon underwear. And my hey, barbecue. Mr. Dwarven. Yeah, Mr. Dwarven guy. What are you wearing? Plate mail. Oh, okay. Didn't think of taking that shit off, did you? Ah, you're making all kinds of noise. Ah, see, yeah. just—it's inevitable, man. Yeah, <laughs> the play, players. Inevitable. Players will not only succeed, but they will fail by their own narrative power. That's right. Just let them do their thing. It's guaranteed that. Shit will hit the fan. And I, I do believe that there are times, even in, mixed, in, the, in the mix of that stuff, I will have it, you've got to climb up the, you've got to scurry across that rope ladder because you're being chased by the orcs. Make a check, make a check, make a check. It feels right because all the description is already happening. Being chased by orcs, holy shit, something bad could happen. Make a check. Okay, whew, I made it. You, ah, you fall to your death. Fuck. You're trying to break into something. You're, you're doing whatever. Combat, of course, you're rolling dice. Um, <clears throat> or if it's interesting, if you fail or succeed, in, in that case, you're being chased. There's pressure. There's there's a reason there. So interesting. I like this, man. This is. Um, I have a tendency to like perception checks. All right, take a roll because there's those times when people aren't saying. I'm, acting, Dude, I'm looking. Ar- I'm looking, I'm looking around. around, man. That, I'm covering the back. I, I'm, checking, I'm looking left. I'm looking right. Up, down, everything. I'm I'm yeah. looking hard in those shadows. Yeah. I'm like, okay, you spot X. Right. Or if you want to do it the other way, you can, and I, I fail towards this sometimes because of all the years of running Pathfinder, is okay, add plus whatever to your check. Right. Again, but based on their narrative thing, you're giving them stuff. I tend to, when I go older school, to give it. Right? You're playing. No, what you do is you give it to them, but it doesn't have to be right. No, it doesn't have to be right. No, you see something small and furtive yeah. creep across it. What is it? You, you're hard to tell. Yeah, Is go it, check it out. Yeah, go check it out. All right, Rock, yeah, Rust Monster, son of a bitch. You know, or nothing, nothing, nothing. There's nothing, nothing there. there. Shit, nothing there. You're 50 feet down this. Now you're 50 feet down the passageway. You sure there's nothing there? That doesn't make any yeah, sense. I'm pretty I'm sure there's nothing there. Something. Oh, there's nothing there. You go there, there's nothing there. Oh shit. Up oh, behind you, you hear something. Oh shit, they got around you. 
<laughs> and I don't think this is solely the uh, purview of OSR games. I'm positive that there are plenty of other games that you can do this in easily without breaking stuff, most likely. Although I'm certain some games are tighter, mechanically speaking, and uh, not playing it rules as written and kind of thrusting this in the middle of it may well fuck up how that game actually functions. So uh, kind of buyer beware, you know, your off-label usage, as uh, Phil and Chris would say. If you're doing that to a certain level, it might muck up your game. But uh, for most of the games that I like to play and how I really enjoy doing it, even my White Wolf games and my Call of Cthulhu and so forth, this type of thing is uh, this is really good. I like this stuff. Do you do, you do this show most of the times, or is this kind of how you wish more people Oh, all do the it? time, man. All the time. Do you? Seriously? No. 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 <laughs> no. 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 You just call for skill rolls, don't you? I probably do. I need to get out of that mentality. I'll tell you what, though. It's it's after you went from 3035, Pathfinder, 4E, if you played a lot of that or other games with heavy skill checks in, kind of built into them, it's hard to get out of it. It's hard to stop doing it. Once you yeah. pick up a game that has no freaking skills, it becomes a lot, uh, a lot more imperative. Cool. All right, man. Well, other people out there, obviously, some of our listeners probably think we're crazy, think we're right, think we're half right, think Sean's right or I'm right. Um, let us know what you think. If you've played like this before, have had good experiences, bad experiences, indifferent, um, if it's a style of play you enjoy, let us know. Because uh, the concept of you know narrative permission, like I use the proper narrative, and therefore I get permission to just simply succeed or make something happen. Kind of cool. So let us know what you think. That's right. Die roll. All right. So I've got one. Um, uh, from Geek Archaeology blog, there's an article on 2018 uh, 3D printing for tabletop RPGs, state of the art. So if you're interested in um, getting into 3D printing and you haven't already, it's a pretty decent short article about that. And uh, I'm telling you, man, if I was... Stefan and, and Dwarven Forge, I would make plans to sell the 3D models. printers. Yeah, 3D models to sell to folks with printers and officially license them Dwarven Forge. Because, man, once everybody's got that shit, you print everything off yourself. It's coming. Inevitable. Inevitable, indeed. Inevitable. All right, so, yeah, check that out. Yeah, and we got a bunch from listeners. We had Kevin Thulu, of course, as always a good source for this type of stuff, points out a, points out a kick-ass place for some character sheets. So link in the show notes, r-n-w.net. Some really cool-looking character sheets. I like the way these function. We've got D&D stuff, bards, monks, paladins, all that good stuff. So pretty cool. Nice. If I had, if I had more illustrator chops... I would love to just sit down and make different character sheets if I was more creative and had illustrator skills. Because I, I think that's what that individual's doing. They're selling them. Yeah, I've been really for my Avalon system or setting, I should say, for Avalon. I want to get, I want to make some Avalon character sheets, and uh, I'm either gonna have to find somebody with the design chops, or make something really ugly, send it to somebody, and say, "Make this look pretty, please." <laughs> but yeah, because really cool character sheets—they're the bomb, man. They're just awesome. Yeah, they got to get them themed to the game, right? Oh, they're so... I mean, uh, Beatty had them for Dark Trails, the themed yeah. ones. Just yeah. sexy as hell. Sexy. 
Joe Swig, Dungeons and Dragons player, creates full Pokemon conversion by Josh Duckworth on Game Rant. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. My kids played in the uh, Pokemon themed 5e game two Evercons ago. Evercon 2017. Evercon 2017. And uh, I wasn't sure Ilana would actually be able to, to last all the, the entire day at the con. I'm like, gosh, oh, she's young. She's only eight. She'll probably pass out. Won't be able to do it. She played for eight hours. <laughs> the guy ran two sessions, and she played both four-hour sessions back to back. But uh, yeah, that really drug the that really drug in some really cool stuff. So that's that's cool. Good find, Joe. And Brian Kurtzinger, Russian researchers claim three-fingered Peruvian mummies have different anatomy to humans. There's an article. Link in the show notes. So there's a little bit something wrong with that whole title. It's three-fingered. Peruvian mummies. mummies. Uh, different anatomy to humans because they're not human. Oh, yes. Right? If you look probably at... probably alien, right? Yeah, if you look at them, it's kind of creepy looking. They got like bird feet. Yeesh. A whole, whole bit. Kind of kind of creepy. Maybe they're they're deceased cosplayers. <laughs> deceased cosplayers? <laughs> we just haven't unraveled them. Yeah, they they were a Kenku originally, and uh, this is just what happened. Yeah. Sorry about that. Didn't mean yeah, to. They, they died in their costume. Vesuvius, like, erupted, and uh, they were buried, and... Damn. I don't know. That's, that, that's commitment to a bit, I'll tell you that right now. That's right. Brett, what are we talking about last week, dude? Oh, jeez. Sean, the the topics are so plentiful. I don't know, man. I've uh, been toying with a couple different ideas, so... <sighs> One thing we've been hit with a few times is running games for, for younger kids and so on. It's something I've done... More than you have, and I don't want to. I already monopolize the show enough as it is, dude. I don't want to just babble my head off about that. But maybe we'll talk about that, or uh, we got a couple other things to offer. We'll see what we come up with. All right, sounds like a plan. Well, thanks everybody for chiming in and listening. Uh, we appreciate it. This has been another episode of Gaming and BS. I am Sean, and I'm Brett. Good night and good gaming all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following. BSers Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's biggest fan, Forrest Gary, Merrick Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Palladian, Remy Bellodo, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Wayne Humphleet, James Carpio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Brandon Barnes, Dan Lavalley, CW Mellencamp, The Lost Sailor, Misdirected Mark Productions, Christopher Gray, Finolf, Merkel Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Michael Drescher, Wistatic, Alexander Auerbach, Neil Benson, Chris Steele, Eric DeHoff Hoffman, Soldiers of Misfortune, RPG, Curtis Takahashi, Mark Tasaka, Larry Hout, Ray Otis, Ron Bishop, Craig Huber, Xavier G, JV, John Hammersley, The Closet Gamer, Steve, John Steve, Jared Rasher, Mark Richmond, Thomas Hook, Blake Ryan, Chad Glayman, Sky, Roger Brasslett, Evan Harrison Cass, Craig, Howard Bishop, Christian, Sexy Voice Serrano, Jim Fitzpatrick, Peter Skeins, The Knights of the Night Crew, Josh Wallace, Corey Welch, Eli Kurtz, Gordon Cranford, Pateri T. Edwin Nagy and Bruce Cunnington, as well as Andy Hall, Corey Wynn, and Graham Minert. For ways to support the show, head over to gamingmbs.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSRs. This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.